0: I'm very happy to say that the Claire Ruth Luce Policy Institute once again has come forward and been a great friend of this class and has brought us another speaker and this is Alice Stuckey right here. Formerly she blogged under the name the conservative millennial. of you familiar with that? As I see few of you. In fact, one of you wrote to me recently and said, can we please have Ali Stuckey in the class? So yes, I do pay pay attention to what you have to say. She currently has a podcast called Relatable, and she does work with
1: CRTV, Conservative Review Television. Please welcome Ali Stuckey.
0: Most of you are unfamiliar with who I am, which is totally fine, I'm not offended by that. I've heard about UC Berkeley and I've been here one time. All of my experiences actually with UC Berkeley have been wonderful experiences. You guys just have, not you guys, but UC Berkeley has a bit of a, um, maybe a non accurate reputation. You guys turned on the news and heard about you guys a little bit. Um, apparently there's been some hubbub about conservative speakers here, that's why I'm so thankful to get to comment, to get to share my opinion, whether or not you agree with me, I'm really excited to discuss uh, with you guys a topic that I think is important, and then of course I'm going to leave it open to question and answer, probably about 20 minutes to 20 minutes, I always talk really quickly. Uh, a lot faster than I typically think. Someone told me a couple weeks ago that I was supposed to be nonpartisan, and so I created this whole presentation that's like kind of nonpartisan, but then Dr. Ross said, no, go for it. So, we're going to see, and it might be a little bit of both. So, this presentation says partisanship, and then the terms, I didn't know what to call it because it really kind of goes in a different direction. This could have also been advice for Democrats, because that's kind of how it is. I have some advice for Democrats. Now, as a conservative and as someone who has always voted Republican so far, I don't typically uh, make, make a business out of giving advice to Democrats, but it seems like this is necessary because they're struggling right now. Um, so first I want to talk about the fact that as we know we are more divided than we've ever been. We're also more divisive than we've ever been. So I want to see a show of hands, and I don't know if y'all are comfortable with showing this. How many of you guys think that we that the reason that we are so divided in this country is because of Donald Trump? Anyone? Raise your hands. I'm not very sure many, that's a lot less than I thought. How many of you think that all of this division started with Donald Trump? Okay, so all of you are exactly accurate. But we are more uh, more divided than we've ever been before. So 1990-2003, this is the average unfavorable rating of the Democratic Party among Republicans. So what we Republicans think about Democrats, it's worse than it's been in at least three decades. Uh, Same thing for what Democrats think about Republicans. We really don't like each other. We don't have a very good view of the other party, unfortunately. And if you look at uh, this, this is from Pew Research, and this kind of explains why just a little bit. So in 1994, maybe before some of you guys were born, like this, uh, baby, there were actually people in the middle. So people that had a mixture of views. They said, I'm liberal on this, I'm conservative on this, uh, in 2004, there were still a lot of people with a mixture of views, uh, but in 2017, that changed dramatically. There were fewer people, at least in uh, several years, a few decades, uh, that kind of mixture of views. more people on either side of the aisle, particularly more people on the left side of the aisle that identified as consistently liberal. Um, this is just another way of looking at the same kind of data. So if you look at 1994, uh, a lot of people in the middle, not as many people on the extremities, Same thing with 2011, but fewer people in the middle, and then 2017, a drastic change. A lot of people on both sides, so consistently conservative, consistently liberal, and particularly more people on the consistently liberal side. Uh, The median for how conservative or how liberal you were uh, changed, it used to be much further, or much closer to moderate, Um, it became much more extreme. And then if you look at the particular issues on which Republicans and Democrats have changed, Since 1994, as you can see, on most issues, liberals became more liberal, so I don't expect you to read every single one of these topics, we'll kind of zero in on a few of them, Uh, but as you can see, the left gets more liberal on almost everything, Uh, Republicans get more liberal on a couple things there, they also get more conservative on a couple things there, but liberals really changed dramatically from 1994 to 2017, particularly on race and immigration and foreign relations. Um, So let's zero in on a few of those. We've got Democrats changing drastically. Government should do more to help the needy. That went up a lot, a lot more Democrats agreeing with that statement. From about 2010, 2011 to 2017, it had been kind of stable uh, from 94 to 2010, and then racial discrimination is the main reason why Black people cannot get ahead. They were asked to agree or to disagree, um, and the amount of people that actually dis or that agreed with that went up for Democrats when Barack Obama was president. I always think that is a very interesting statistic, even though racism didn't actually increase during that time. Uh, Immigrants strengthen the country with their hard work and talent, that changed a lot, as you can see, there's a huge gap between Republicans and Democrats, in some cases more than ever before, in 2017. Um, And then we've got more kind of fundamental differences between Republicans and Democrats, so if you look at all the issues, we've got different different views, but then if you look at something like patriotism, which isn't typically seen as something that's partisan, there's a huge partisan difference. Um, so, Republicans, way back in 2013, 71%, extremely proud to be Americans, still the majority of Democrats. That has changed dramatically. I hear a lot of people saying that Democrats are not patriotic because they don't like Donald Trump. Well, that's an inaccurate statement. Their patriotism has actually been declining for a while. There's another Gallup study that shows uh, patriotism before 9-11, then after 9-11, and then now Republicans' patriotism pre-2001 and now is actually the same. Uh, Democrats has dropped off considerably. Um, and these are just specific examples of how Democrats have changed at least Democratic leadership just in the past 10 years to kind of give you uh, give you a sample of how progressive they've gotten. So on abortion 2008, you probably remember reading Hillary Clinton saying that she believes that abortion should be Legal, safe, and rare, and I mean rare, that was a reiteration of something her husband had said about 20 years earlier. 2017, you heard Tom Perez say, head of the DNC, you cannot be a Democrat and be pro-life, you have to be for abortion rights. He did get read uh, for that, but that is the Democratic position mainstream, and then illegal immigration. As recently as 2009, Chuck Schumer said illegal immigration is wrong, clean and simple. In 2008, Barack Obama said the same thing. He said that he was going to get illegal crossings down lower than they've ever been before. That is not the platform of the Democratic Court anymore, if you haven't noticed. Um, it's about abolishing ISIS, opposing the wall, opposing any kind of border security, and basically having open borders, although they won't use those two words. Uh, Gay marriage, 2008. uh, Of course, Barack Obama had an evolution on this. He said, I believe every marriage should be between a man and a woman. I am not in favor of gay marriage. That was Barack Obama. And then in 2015, of course, he called it a victory. And then socialism, if you haven't noticed, even 10 years ago, Democrats would have said that they were capitalistic. They would have looked at the past. 30 to 40 years and say, hey, world poverty has been slashed by about eighty percent because of capitalism and, and globalism and free trade. That's a good thing. Now that can't be agreed upon anymore. Now socialism is kind of a badge of honor the Democratic Socialists of America. The membership has shot up. Bernie Sanders got more votes from millennials than Trump or Clinton combined during the primaries. Socialism is uh, seen as a good thing on the left. So, the left has gotten much more progressive, the Democrats have gotten much more progressive in the past 10 years. The right has stayed basically about the same. And there were three things that really became mainstream during Barack Obama's presidency that caused the left to go more left than they had the 10 years prior, even the 20 years prior. And these are the three things. One, political correctness, which I'm not demonizing all of it, but political correctness is something that really what's popularized during Barack Obama's presidency, it's what proof of that. I was watching in The Office the other day. I'm sure everyone in this room has seen The Office. I watched season one for probably the thirtieth time. And in episode two, it's was of training. Anyone remember diversity training? like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was laughing. But I was watching that. I was like, there's no way, there's no way this could be played today. No one will laugh. Steve Carell would lose his job. We would never be able to have the office today. It's probably going to get kicked off Netflix at one point. And then I read an article just a day later where Steve Carell actually said they can could never do the office today because so of political correctness. That has changed in the past 10 years. It's changed the landscape of politics as well. Intersectionality is also something that became mainstream. All of these things were around before Barack Obama. They just in the mainstream conversation. Does everyone know what intersectionality is? Raise your hand. i will probably know one better than I do. Okay. Um, intersectionality, uh, something that call, conservatives call the uh, oppression Olympics, it's basically identifying people by their socioeconomic status, their race, their ethnicity, their backgrounds, uh, and identifying them by those things and adding value to them based on their mutual characteristics, that's great. Um, uh, identity politics is basically the idea that if you're a woman you need to vote this way, if you're gay you need to vote this way, if you're an immigrant you need to vote this way. All of these, all, all of these three things became popularized, um, during Barack Obama's presidency, probably more than ever before, and then you have Donald Trump. Um, And Donald Trump kind of flew in the face of all of these three things, and all of the things that we've really kind of gotten used to as a nation, or a lot of people have gotten used to as a nation. So Donald Trump is, to put it nicely probably, a crass. He's politically incorrect. He is pro-American first, pro-patriotism, hence the Make America Great Again. He is very anti-immigration, of course he said a lot of controversial things during his campaign about illegal immigrants. So he really flew in the face of everything that we had gotten used to for eight years while Barack Obama was president. Barack Obama is very decorous. he is progressive, he is politically correct, uh, he is soft spoken, he is gentle, he has a different posture towards the rest of the world than Donald Trump does. He is in some ways apologetic for what he would probably call American aggression. Um, very different than Donald Trump. And as you guys know, there's been a heavy resistance to Donald Trump since he became president. He has very low approval ratings. It started out really low, and then right now he is at about 42% favorable rating. That's not that great, but it has been pretty steady. So what's kind of crazy there for a little bit, um, it has been pretty steady despite all of the scandal that has kind of surrounded his presidency. So just to give you a little bit of an idea of where that lies, so his is at 42% right now. Barack Obama's was at 45, so that's not that much better when we talk about how much better of a president, how, how uh, liked Barack Obama was. Not really. Uh, George W. Bush a lot higher. Ronald Reagan, 42% as well. Um, so it's really not that crazy, but it's still a pretty low approval rating. Now. Donald Trump, not only is he not liked, but he's also been shrouded with all kinds of controversy since he's become president. He has not done himself very many favors. I'm someone who voted for Donald Trump, but I agree with about 90% of what he does, about 10% of what he says. I think I speak for a lot of conservatives when I say that. He hasn't helped himself very much. He's gotten himself in controversy with the NFL, the NBA. He's been a little soft with Putin, as (laughs) a lot of his conservatives have. Uh, Those concerns over, of course, we all know that this is Hollywood tape. I didn't put anything about the P-tape up here because I just didn't think we needed a picture of that. Uh, We've got Charlottesville and the horrific uh, reaction to that. And then we also have the whole Stormy Daniels-Michael Avenatti controversy that seems like it is never ending. So we've got the uh, the President of the United States who is not very well liked, who is shrouded in controversy. And then we have the Democrats who have done a pretty good job of rallying resistance. And the reason why they've done good jobs, one, I think Democrats are pretty good at messaging. They're pretty good at rhetoric. They're pretty good at convincing people of their platform, in my opinion. And what has actually helped them is that Democrats dominate most of the mainstream media. No, they don't have Fox to use, but that's about it. Um, they dominate academia. Everyone in this room knows that's the case. They pretty much dominate social media, social media and people run social media are left-leaning, they admitted to that bias, and then Hollywood is dominated by the Democratic Party as well. So they have all of these megaphones and all of these amplifiers for their message to the rest of the world. That's how they've been able to dominate culture. Um, and yet, and yet, they don't seem to be winning quite as crazily or quite as much as they say that they should and as it seems like they should. So, as we already know, Republicans won the majority of special elections post-2016. Um, Trump's approval rating, while well low, we just looked at it, it's up over the past few weeks in Republican districts. Our Republican voter enthusiasm has absolutely skyrocketed since July, which is pretty unique, um, and then the Democratic takeover according to lots of different pollsters of the House plus the Senate is increasingly unlikely. So let's just look at that since you might always take my word for it. So. You guys probably know who Nate Silver is. She's like the closest thing is to a, a celebrity pollster that you can get. This is 538 vlog. So, Democrats have about a 5 and 6 chance of, of winning the House. So, they probably will. They've got about a 1 in 5 chance of winning the Senate. So, they probably will not. Really, anything could happen. Um, and then you have this race, which I'm watching very closely because I live in Dallas. Um, at one point, we actually thought that Beto and Work might be able to win over 10 That's not going to happen Uh, despite the fact that the media have completely coddled Bader Work, despite his scandalous uh, background, it's probably just not going to happen. So the question is, the question is, why? Why are Democrats not leading in the way that they said that they would, or that it seems like they should, since they dominate every single facet of our society except for the uh, the branches of government. Well, let's look at voter enthusiasm. So if you look at July versus October, so Democrats back in July were more enthusiastic than Republicans to vote in the midterms, like midtime. time so 78% said that this is a really big deal, uh, 68% of Republicans said that this is a big deal, so they had a speak by about 10 points. But then if you fast forward to October, that is not true anymore. It's 80% versus 82% Republicans versus Democrats, which is a statistical tie. So if you break that down even further, you look at men and women. Among Democrats, back in July, 81% of female Democrats said that these were very important. That actually dropped in October to 79%. That was not true among Republican women. Among Republican women in July, uh, only 71% said it was important, and that jumped to 83%. So we are now more confused about the midterms than Democratic women are. And the reason for that, um, in case you guys have been living under a rock or something like that. Um, the reason for that is the Kavanaugh law drama. Um, you guys probably watched the news and you saw all of the people that were storming the Supreme Court steps. You saw the women that were yelling inside the Senate chamber. You saw all of the protesters and the rioters that were saying, oh my gosh, we just confirmed a this to the Supreme Court. This is awful. Our, our, lives are, our lives are ending. I don't know if you guys subscribe to the Women's March emails the way that I do for fun, just for some fodder. And they all said the poor people are going to get poor. Uh, immigrants are going to be sent back or something like that. Women are going to be back in the kitchen. Um, and that's all we saw in the mainstream media, how mad women were, how galvanized they were, how they were going to take this to the midterms, and they were going to make sure that they, uh, that they pay revenge for confirming Kavanaugh. But we didn't talk about all of the Republican women who were more affected by the Kavanaugh thing than we have been affected by anything. How many women actually watched Kavanaugh and said, probably maybe for the first time in a while, okay, I'm going to vote in the midterms because I don't want this future. They didn't talk about the women who watched Kavanaugh and said, wow, I see in him every good man that I know. I see my dad, my husband, my sons, my brothers, my friends. I don't want to live in a world in which the only two words that are required to ruin a man's life are she and said. We didn't hear about those women who were galvanized, but I'm telling you, Republican women are going out to vote because of Kavanaugh. Apparently more than Democratic women are. We didn't hear about their because we don't go into the Senate chamber and scream our heads off, we just kind of talk about things logically and thought. So, what's the reason for that? So, we were told. I got asked to. I got asked to comment on this story um, by a publication who said, "Do you feel like you're a gender trainer for supporting Kavanaugh?" Was extremely outspoken in support of Kavanaugh. Extremely outspoken um, throughout the whole thing, and do I feel like a gender traitor, gender traitor, no, it's a gender traitor? Well, I don't know what that is. Um, but apparently that's what I am. And what I said was, this is the, this, this stupidity right here is the exact reason why Democrats keep losing. Why they keep overestimating themselves, why they keep overplaying their ideas, why they keep saying that the resistance is going to do so much, and they keep coming up short. People don't like this. Like, people don't like hearing because you're a woman you have to think a certain way. Like, people don't like hearing because you're black you can't wear a MAGA hat and you look like, oh, what a dumb woman called Kanye last, I can't say that word, but this is what happens when black people don't read. People don't like that. Like, people don't like to be patronized. Like, we don't like to be dehumanized. We don't like to hear, oh, because you're a woman or you're like a woman or you're an immigrant, you have to vote a certain way. That's why the Democrats keep on overestimating themselves because white women in the GOP are gender traders protecting privilege. Whatever the hell that means, does anyone even know what that means? Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, great. I can't wait to hear that. So, as, as the Democrats, as Democrats keep on on things like this, on things like white privilege, on things like gender traitors, on things like Kanye West uh, visiting the president and telling him that as a black person he's taking them 155 years back. Um, as Democrats are voting on that, I think they might be losing people because this is a, a poll of 275,000 people by NBC. What is the number one issue for Democrats related to midterms? It's economic issues. Uh, republicans that's number two women's issue six percent six percent of democrats say that that's a top issue for them but really democrats the voting democrats are a lot more practical than the people that you see in the media than the things that they seem to be protesting for and all of these hyperbole saying that we're going to take women back into the kitchen i think democratic voters are a lot more logical than what we're seeing displayed in the mainstream media what we're seeing Uh, displayed by people like Linda Sarsour. Democrats care about economic issues. That doesn't fare very well for Democrats who don't talk about economic issues anymore. All they talk about is socialism. Um, The people who are dominating, the people who are dominating the conversation about the economy is Republicans. Um, Hispanic black unemployment at all-time lows, female unemployment at a 50-year low, 195,000 manufacturing jobs added, uh, for the average family of four, I think maybe somewhere around $73,000, Uh $2,000 um, tax cut for the average family. Oh. <laughs> is, that, is someone an average family of four out there that didn't get that? Oh, I didn't think so. Okay. Uh, so again, Again, it goes back to the political correctness, intersectionality, identity, politics, these are the three things the Democrats keep focusing on, and because of that, they keep coming up short, there was actually this amazing study that was just done uh, for people across the aisle, like people who are black, immigrants, uh, Hispanic, Whatever, all these different backgrounds, and ask about political correctness. Eighty percent of Americans on either side of the aisle, in any demographic, does not agree with political correctness. They don't like political correctness. They think it's kind of ruining their lives. The only people that like political correctness are people on the far left, and that doesn't account for most people in America. So it's really hurting that focusing on these issues that Democrats don't really care about, and what Democrats seem to be failing at, and what Democrats seem to be so resistant to. That's why you see only conservatives being shouted down on the college campus, which hasn't happened to me yet, thank you. Um, and that's why we see conservatives being silenced and conservatives being censored, is because we lost this ability to have an exchange of ideas. Now I'm sure that's not true in this class, I've heard wonderful things about this class, but really on both sides, I would say there are plenty of Republicans who have lost this too, but we've lost the ability to exchange ideas instead and focus on intersectionality, on politics, on Oppression, whatever it is, people on both sides of the aisle can only attack the person and not attack the ideas. I guarantee you if Democrats have moved in this direction, if they just stop being so unhinged all of the time about everything, you could win people over. I've had so many messages during the cabinet thing from apolitical people that started following me during this because I didn't know what to think. So many messages from apolitical people saying, I'm not a Republican, but I know I'm not a Democrat now. I know I'm not a Democrat because I don't want to be that. There are going to be a lot of people voting in the midterms. They're going to like, I, I just want to vote against the Democrats because they've lost their mind. Here's the thing about Donald Trump, too. I disagree with a lot of what Donald Trump says. As I already said, I wish that he would stop tweeting. But at this point, Donald Trump knows that he can say absolutely anything because Democrats are always going to outcrazy him. Like, it's hard to out-crazy Donald Trump. It's hard to out-crazy Donald Trump, The Democrats do it very well. I guarantee you, if they just stopped and they stood back for one second and they were able to have an exchange of ideas,
1: they would win. If we were able to have
0: dialogue debate and we were able to discuss the issues, we were actually able to do that, as I'm sure we're about to do in this class, I think that we would all be in a better place, and I actually think the Democrats would do a lot better in elections if they were able to do that. They seem completely unable to do that, A, because they center everything on Donald Trump. They can't actually have an idea. It's all about resisting Donald Trump, no no matter what it is. And B, it becomes about a moral issue. Everything becomes about, if you're against illegal immigration, it's because you're a bad person. If you're against abortion, it's because you hate women. Uh, If you vote for Donald Trump, it's because you hate black people. Everything comes down to a moral position. People are tired of that. They're tired of that. And you can't have dialogue, you cannot have debate, you cannot have discussion when morality is the prerequisite for any kind of conversation. So, number one,
1: this is what I learned
0: in my political science uh, class in college. Number one, not everyone who disagrees with you is a, is a bad person. Like everyone just needs to take a deep breath and realize that. Not everyone who disagrees with you is a bad person. Like people who voted for Donald Trump, they're not racist because they voted for Donald Trump. People who are uh, who are against illegal the immigration they are not racist for being against illegal immigration. And number two, the world is not ending. Like. We're all, like, capital was converted, like, women didn't die. Like, we're okay. We didn't die after getting repealed of Obamacare, like, we're going to be okay. Um, number three, uh, the best idea should win. The Democrats should allow the best idea to win. We shouldn't be censoring ideas, we shouldn't be censoring speech, we shouldn't be talking about this craziness like hate speech that doesn't even really exist. The best idea should win. The best idea should always win. Um, and, that, and I'm excited to have the conversation that I know that we're about to have. <laughs> and that's it. Hi. Do I want to
1: take a No. let Mr. Cal. So, today we retweeted treated Rep. Uh, Black Gates with a conspiracy theory about George Soros. And it is very widely acknowledged that the rhetoric about George Soros is an anti-Semitic dog whistle rooted in the hate speech of Nazi Germany and the Protocols of Elder Zion and continued all the way to the 1800s. And this rhetoric has reached the top levels of our government right now. And I saw that you also criticized Louis Farrakhan for his anti-Semitic hate mm-hmm. speech this morning, mm-hmm. and thank you for that. But Farrakhan is a fringe figure, and you're f- but and you're criticizing him, which is good, but you're also furthering anti Semitic hate speech from the other side. As a yeah. Jewish student, that makes me feel unsafe in my own country. Okay. What would you say to that? Okay, what I would say. Okay. Yes, okay, so
0: I retweeted something by Matt Easy this morning because there was a video of uh, the plundering uh, migrants who were trying to come to our border and say, Donald Trump, let us in. There was a video of them doing okay. Um, interesting. Interesting. And so that gave, which I saw the Soros thing, and I always kind of the when conservatives say that. He was the only one I saw with the video, and I didn't it. But George Soros does pay protesters. He does. He's not just this random figure that we made up. Now, I think that he is overused and over accused. I think when people use him on the right, it tends to be just this like, you kind of roll your eyes, and you're like, well, this is just a conspiracy theory. But he was really just asking the question because George Soros does pay protesters. That's a no effect. And so that's not in and it of itself anti-Semitic. I'm certain. Thank
1: you for coming in. It is fantastic to hear from um, someone outside of the general
0: dialogue that we
1: get here. Um, something that I have been personally wondering a lot since the 2016 election was how to square um, the large
0: percentage of white women who did end up voting for Donald Trump and arguably uh, giving him that push into office um, with sort of the the respect that I have to imagine a successful woman like yourself um, holds in her position, in her power, in her intelligence. Um, and I've heard some
1: arguments, and I would just be really interested to hear yours and how you've squared with yourself yeah. voting for a man like him. And I, I know there must be reasons, so I just, I would love to hear them. Yeah,
0: so i heard good reasons from, at least from conservatives for not voting for Donald Trump. I thought if I'm ever gonna forgive myself if I allow Hillary Clinton to run the country by not voting for Donald Trump. And again, it's you had two, in my opinion, very unpopular, not great candidates. One candidate had policies and would have an administration that I knew would further the agenda that I agreed with. One bad candidate had policies that I didn't agree with at all. So I felt like, well, what am I gonna do? We're always gonna have imperfect candidates, we're always gonna have simple candidates where all of our candidates are going to fall short. So we're either not going to vote, we're always going to write in and commit the fraud, or we're just going to vote for the person that elected. Now, I will say there is a nuance to this that I haven't fully figured out, that somewhere you do have to draw the line. And this is where I'll just say, I don't know the full answer to this. That you do have to say when does, when does decency matter more than policy? Because for example, Hopefully you wouldn't elect someone who agrees with you policy-wise on everything yet as a serial killer. So like what what is that line? What is that line of morality? And I haven't fully I haven't fully
1: figured that out yet. Like where do you strike that balance? So hi, thank you for coming. I know it's probably not the easiest thing to do, but um I was just wondering, because there's kind of like a contradiction. I think in the way a lot of Republicans think basically like a lot of Republicans at the core they think they're like they don't want government controlling stuff they just want to be kind of independent but -hmm. there's a big but with that unless it's something like a social issue and then they want like all the government control possible so I was Like like anything like immigration or like marijuana or gay marriage or whatever like they want no government control unless it's a social issue and then in that case they want like a ton of government control, so how is yeah. that, how is that kind of, like, just How does that go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes, and so the Republicans often say that we want limited government, except when it comes to social issues that we don't agree with, like, abortion and gay marriage and immigration. So I just want to clarify those positions because I can see how you would, I'm a Republican. I'm not a Libertarian, so I think there is uh, a place for the government. I think one of those places, um, or one of the responsibilities of the government, is to keep our country safe. So I do think securing the border goes along with that. Um, Now I'm a fiscal conservative too, and so it's not like I want to spend irresponsibly to do that. But I do think it's important to secure our borders to keep our citizens safe. I also think abortion falls under that. It's not that I want. It's not regulating women's bodies to say that we shouldn't be able to murder babies. It's just a basic function of the government to be able to protect its citizens. Murder is illegal; it should be illegal whether it's consented or not. Uh, and then you also said gay marriage, and I think most people just believe that gay marriage should be up to the states. A lot of people also believe that abortion should be up to the states. That when you if you overturn Roe v. Wade, that doesn't create legislation that would ban abortion. Just FYI, it would just go to the states, and that's why a lot of people think Roe v. Wade is unconstitutional, not just immoral. So I think it's it's not about. Just limiting government, it's about decentralizing government and making sure that uh, government is representative of people in local communities and of states um, and not having it so centralized in Washington, Uh, D.C. um, these <laughs> massive changes that are going to be necessary structurally to, to your beloved capitalism. And it's not to say that, like, do you have a you know, question? That yeah, <laughs> I'm curious. Um, do you want to a lecture or do you want to ask a question? Uh, you get asked if I'm a climate change denier. And I think, not, not, I think most conservatives, whether you hear it or not, do not deny that there is climate change, and you probably don't know that the Save Our Seas Act, which is one of the first acts of its kind uh, to actually funds the protection uh, of our seas and to make sure that we're cleaning up pollution that actually comes in from other countries to our seas. So good for President Trump. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not a climate change denier. I've actually taken all of those classes. I wish you had a specific point to make or like a specific question to ask because it didn't really sound like it. Yes. So that men's lives can be ruined if survivors and
1: tell their stories. So that's not what I said, but okay. I just want to note do you
0: believe Dr. Ford? Uh no, I don't believe that she was assaulted by and Judge Kavanaugh. no. And why? Why not? By because Godin. there was no corroboration for her story whatsoever. There was no substantiation. Even Lila Kaiser, her best friend, whom she said she was there, said, I never met Brett Kavanaugh, and then when she said, Oh well actually she came out after that and said, No, she was pressured by Ford Allies to change her story and saying that she believes Dr. Ford. She reversed it and said, No, I don't. There was an FBI investigation, sure, it only lasted one week. You can say that you're a about that. But there was no cooperation whatsoever. There was no one that he'd come forward. And he said that he was, for example, a virgin. There was not one person who came forward and actually said, Well, I actually had some sex with Brent Kavanaugh. Uh, no one even said that. Like, no one could go against his hands uh, his uh character. The only things that people had were maybe he, maybe she lied about booze, maybe he lied about the devil's triangle. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, so I really
1: appreciate your like, enthusiasm for politics. I appreciate that about you and a lot of conservatives. But I have a question. In the presentation you define patriotism you didn't define it, but you gauged it as a measure of people who said they were extremely proud to be an American. Yes. And I think if you look at historical examples, I think that people who are proud to be part of their country, that doesn't necessarily translate to what I would describe as positive patriotism. You know, historically, you could argue that that often delves into fascist or authoritarian movements.
0: Like nationalism.
1: I guess, I'm curious, what, I guess I'd like to give you the opportunity to maybe give a more nuanced definition of what is patriotism and also what is inherently unpatriotic about questioning authority and questioning the country.
0: Oh, I don't think there's anything unpatriotic about questioning the country. I hope I didn't say that. I mean, that's all that the Tea Party was about. I mean, the the 21st century Tea Party, um, I guess the first two or two. Um, I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with it, and I don't think there's anything wrong with saying here's what's wrong with our country, here's what we can do better. And my my view wants view what patriotism is, I can't give you a percentage of which Democrats believe this and which Democrats don't, because Gallup defined it, and that was, I'm just very proud to be an American. There's also research from Pew that asked, do you think America is the greatest country in the world? Most Democrats do not, Most millennials do not, Most Republicans do. Um, I I define patriotism as being proud to be an American, being proud of the sacrifices that have been made on your behalf, and being able to say whether or not you think it's the greatest country in the world, and I absolutely do, Uh, being able to say, wow, I have not Really good in this country, and I am so thankful for the equality that has been ch- achieved on my behalf, all the accomplishments that have been achieved on my behalf. I, I personally don't think that's a partisan thing. I don't you have to be a Republican to be patriotic, uh, but it seems to be falling along partisan lines. But you're right, you could define patriotism in different ways, and I think there is certainly room for discussion on that. <laughs> Okay, so she asked about the anonymous New York Times article that someone in the administration wrote saying that, you know, this administration is chaotic. Personally, I didn't read anything in that that I didn't kind of already know. I mean, there's a lot of turnover within the Trump administration. I kind of always assumed that his administration was going to him and saying, here's what's happening, here's what we need to do, and he's just like, well, Trump say do whatever I want to. That's kind of how I pictured it going. Anyway, um, I don't think that that was the best tactic for that person. I think that person should have been brave enough to come forward and share their concerns uh, with their boss, with their higher up, say, here, here are the concerns that I have. Like, I, I wish that we could fix this, or resign, and then come out and say it publicly. That's the brave and right
1: thing to do. So I appreciate the observation that you mentioned about how the rhetoric of the resistance is patronizing and how people, especially voters, don't like being grouped into certain categories and then being told how they should be voting, like that article about how white women that voted for so-and-so are traitors. Uh Um, And it's my understanding that part of the passion that most, um, I guess, Democrats bring in their protests and in their demonstrations kind of drowns out the logic of their argument and I can appreciate that observation but I feel like if you compare that to most Republican comments um, about say abortion and murdering babies that sounds equally extremist in terms of like a statement. I'm not gonna go into like the long list of what um, pro-right like supporters say about the other, you know, the background that goes into like choosing to go through an abortion. Um, that's besides the point. I guess my point is what makes you feel like that argument is more logical and has more structure to it than somebody who like is equally emotionally vested in that yeah. situation.
0: So I think emotion is fine. And I don't think that we should be these emotional <coughs> robots that don't have any emotion or passion behind our rhetoric whatsoever. So I think it's fine for the left to be emotional. It's, and, and I'm not saying this doesn't happen on the right. Maybe we just don't see it as much because conservative voices are quite as amplified uh, through media and through social media. There's not. Maybe there's not as maybe loud, I don't know. But what we hear increasingly from the left is that Donald Trump is sending women back and he's taking away gay rights he's taking away women's rights, that Kavanaugh is gonna make us turn to cocaine or abortions, and we're, he's gonna put women back in the kitchen that poor people are gonna get poor. Like, we heard that 24 million people were gonna die because we were killed their voluntary. Then it's not just that it's emotional, but it's not true. It's not true. Now, whether you agree with abortion or not is irrelevant to the fact that it kills a child. Like, Tell me what else it is besides killing a child. Scientifically, it's not a couple of cells. Like, my sister-in-law is 20 weeks pregnant. It has a full face. It looks like it's all and dad. And I say it because I don't want to play your girl yet. Um, and that's just that's a logical reality. Now, you can have emotion behind the stories and having a and whatever it is, that's fine. But that's not hyperly, That is a fact. <laughs>
1: Works hyperly to you, it'll be a reality for someone else. Um, and for my question, I think I would like to ask, or kind of argue or refute uh, why the Republican party, party is becoming more white, becoming more rich, less young, less of color, and you know, quite some explanation on why. So, are we really becoming
0: less those things? Like, uh, are, have that as a decrease, or
1: are Democrats just <coughs> becoming more? Yeah, I know. Less Asian, why do you become less
0: Hispanic? Why do you become less black? But I was, I just haven't Future. seen those statistics that we are actually less those kids. No, we are less those kids than Democrats, but I'm taking your I'm taking your question to mean that we less over time. Like we've become more white. Is that statistically true? I have never seen that. Where can I find it? Google! Cool. <laughs> Oh man. Um, I have I haven't seen that. Now now I know I love seeing that the Democratic Party is usually more diverse because they promise they promise people stuff. They say we're gonna do something for you, but I would love to know what black leadership has done for the black community.
1: I don't know if this spoke to your opinion, but that a lot of women uh, that you had spoken to saw Brett Kavanaugh and saw him as someone who's one of the best men they've ever known? or That no, no, no. no, we saw
0: him. in him good, good men that we know.
1: Okay. Um, I don't know Brett Kavanaugh. Sorry, I misspoke, but yeah, that phrase. Um, <laughs> I just, um, hearing things from his yearbook where he bragged about his sexual conquests, whether they it's were— not- uh calling right. himself alumni of certain
0: women? Yeah, but he said he said that had nothing to I'm do sorry. with can sex. I'm sorry, can I finish my
1: question? question? I'm sorry. May, may I finish my question, please? Um, so, and then you also talked about that he may have lied about Devil's Triangle. Um, among those things, do you Really feel that that's the best demand could be, because I've never done any of those things, and I don't consider myself a fantastic person.
0: done what
1: <laughs> the uh brag about that. my sexual conquests? But he didn't. You guys
0: are assuming that. You're just assuming that it was a sexual conquest. He says it wasn't, other people says it say it wasn't, that it was about dating her, that he's actually still good friends with Renee. to Triangle was a drinking game, uh, someone under the team of perjury under pill. So the FBI said it was a drinking game, so you guys, who are really not lying then, are saying he was lying. Okay, tell the FBI. In the back. Hello. Uh, so, uh, I'm in Madison, I'm not
1: in the country. I'm just wondering if you could, sort of say like, tell me, why do you think America is the greatest country in the world, and why do you guys still
0: focus in Korea? Oh, because we're the greatest country in the world, because we're the only country,